0: Let's just pray as we come and just uh, reflect on God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the, the, the many facets of your word, that, that you, Jesus, came as the word made flesh. We thank you that you spoke into the lives of, of those people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. We thank you that your words were put into actions as you gave yourself to a death on the cross that you took upon yourself, our sin and our shame. And Lord, we thank you that that your word was continued as it was written down and it's been handed to us in, in this amazing book that we are so privileged to have in abundance. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us through it this day. Lord, would you take any words that I've prepared as I've reflected and and just uh, sat asking you to help me. Lord, would you take those words and, and use them? to to nourish us, build us up, draw us closer to you. Oh Lord, continue to be with us in these moments. Put aside any ramblings that I may fall into. And Lord, just speak, please, to each one of us. For we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. A couple of striking things just, just as, as, as uh, I finished reading that. I noticed uh, when I was doing a little bit of prep this week that um, Lystra and Derby, the two places... You kind of want to call it Derby, don't you? Really. But Lystra and Derby, or however you pronounce it, just pronounce it confidently and people will think that's the way it's pronounced. They're, they're described as backwaters. And that just kind of struck me that, that maybe we feel we're a bit of a backwater. A little place in rural Somerset. A bunch of villages and towns that, that are kind of a little bit off the beaten track but actually the word of God went to the backwaters of the ancient Near East and the word of God has come to, to the United Kingdom in all its kind of metropolises, but also in its quiet little places too. And I think that's cool. I think that's great. I was slightly daunted, though, by another verse that, uh, that was uh, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, where Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe. I thought, yeah, all right. I'll try and speak effectively. But we kind of mentioned that that Paul has preached his heart out before this passage. And uh, he's given his fellow Jews and the Gentiles who are listening, the non-Jews, if you like, an incredible history of the Jewish nation. And how God has been at work through the Jewish nation. And he's made the link between God's action through the Jewish nation, through activities like like the whole thing that the kids are learning about, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, all that went on in their history. He linked it in to Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection. And this passage that we've just read gives us an illustration of the people's response to that message that Paul brought of God's desire to save us. Save us from the punishment that our sinfulness deserves. A message that draws us into a saving, transforming, day-by-day day relationship with him. And I guess because there's a response illustrated here, that's why I kind of thought, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I want us to look this morning at what what the water might be that Paul is is leading his listeners to. And then... Take a little bit of time to consider the two possible responses to that water. Because actually, ultimately, we either drink of that water or we walk away. There's kind of no half measure. the message that Paul presented to the Jews and Gentiles, the message that is presented to us, we either drink it in or we walk away. Now, mercifully, there is some space for us to take time to try and get our heads around it and and weigh up what is being said. But ultimately, we do need to make a choice. So going along with this leading a a horse to water analogy, what is the water here? Well as I read through uh, chapter 13 in particular, a phrase kept on coming up in various guises in that chapter, the water is the word of God. It's mentioned in verse 5, verse 7, verse 46, it's kind of rephrased as the teaching of the Lord in verse 12, the message of salvation in verse 26, and the word of the Lord in verses 44, 48 and 49. Paul brings to the people the word of God. Paul was introducing to them that Jesus, was the Word made flesh. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now to the people of the, 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 the Middle East at that time, the, the Greeks and the Jews, that idea of some, some logos, some word, wasn't just about kind of writing on a page, but the Word was a, was a notion of the divine. And even outside of, of Christian circles, the, the idea of the Word, there was, there was kind of a philosophical idea of a, a controlling force in the world. And when John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, that was pre-revolutionary, that Jesus was this word, made flesh. He'd come amongst us. And Paul is trying to express that the Word of God was Jesus. and all that Jesus did. He was the expected Messiah. that the prophets had written about in the Old Testament. It's actually expressed incredibly clearly what the word of the Lord is in verse 38, just just before the passage we read today. But in verse 38, if you look, Paul says this, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, Everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. As Robin read in Romans 3, the law of Moses kind of just highlighted, if you like, our sinfulness. Highlights the fact that that God made a perfect world. And sin has spoilt that perfection. And Jesus has come to put that right. So the word of God, as it's expressed in various points in this chapter, first of all, it's Jesus. But captured in that phrase is also all that Jesus has done. That through Jesus' actions, the loss of relationship with God is restored. The possibility of eternal life is restored. Jesus himself describes eternal life like this in John chapter uh, 13. No, John chapter 17. Now this is... Eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is all about living in unbroken relationship with God. And Paul is presenting that to the people he was speaking to and to us as a possibility for now. As well as for eternity. So that's the water that Paul is leading the people to, both then and now. And of course, we have what we call the Word of God, written in so many different translations and versions. A book that will help us. I want us to consider two responses to the Word of God. But perhaps, Margaret, now is your moment. Would you come and read two passages of Scripture uh, that may just help us in thinking about this idea of the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Maybe just let people know what they are and give them half a chance. I was
1: just keen... The first readings from Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The next reading is John 8:31 to 36 To the Jew who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but his son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Indeed.
0: Why did we read those two scriptures? I wanted us just to, to reflect, and maybe you can take those two scriptures uh, away. Uh, I can scribble them down, or, or you can write them down yourselves. Hebrews 4.12 and John 8.31-36. to 36. I want us to see that the Word of God isn't just an opinion. We are bombarded by opinion in our society, good opinions, bad opinions, all kinds of opinions, but actually as Jesus said, the truth will set you free, and the word of God is truth, not simply words on a page, but truth. And the word of God is not simply black and white print, but it is living and active and powerful because it comes from the living God. And I, as much as you, sometimes struggle to make sense of this big book full of lots and lots and lots of words. But collectively, this book is the word of God which is living and active and speaks into our lives. Jesus is living and active and speaks into our lives. You've probably heard me say before, Bill Shankly, old manager of Liverpool Football Club, once said, football... It's not just a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. Now that's a bit of a bonkers thing to say. Although Chelsea Arsenal this afternoon. (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) But actually, the word of God is genuinely a matter of life and death it demands a response the word of god is a matter of life and death and it demands a response and this passage actually kind of indicates to us that there are two options available to us folk there's not an option of sitting on the fence Appealing though that may be, there is, as I've said, a time to consider what is put before us, but don't let that become an excuse for actually making a decision about the Word of God. The first option that's open and expressed in this passage is that we reject the Word of God. We actually reject it and say, nuh not for me. And I want you to notice that the people who reject the word of God in this passage are not bad people, actually. They're people who identify strongly with their cultural and religious heritage. Look at verse 49, the kind of people that reject the word of God. Sorry, verse 50. Amongst those who reject the word of God are God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. These are respectable people who, when presented with Jesus, say no, no. Now that's trouble. These people, though, as they reject the word of God, actually they find themselves drawn into a place of persecution and even violence. They, they want to stone Paul and Barnabas and the other followers. This is quite near to the mark, actually, for what's going on in our world today. There are people who are being stoned and beheaded because they say, Jesus is Lord. We don't face that in this country. Dare I say yet? I don't know. No, I don't want to say yet. But hey, we are in a privileged place. Paul and Barnabas know that what they are going to say is going to upset the apple cart. They speak boldly. Why would you speak boldly if there wasn't any kind of risk to what you were saying? But Paul and Barnabas knew that. They, They knew that they were upsetting the status quo. They knew that what they were were saying might perhaps prick people's pride. Who does he think he is? Telling me I'm a sinner and need saving. I'm a perfectly respectable person. I'm a good moral sort. Who does he think he is? In this account, it certainly threatened a place of power. Because the religious authorities had, had things pretty well sewn up and the control of the people was pretty well sorted. And I guess these people of high standing were thinking, well, who are these rabble-rousers? Who are these people that are upsetting the people and drawing them away from what we know and what we love? interesting verse 45 just have a look at that when the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy they talked abusively against what Paul was saying Do you remember I've gone on for a little while about what the Word of God was the logos to which is I think the Greek the Word of God That word there, speaking abusively, is anti-logos in Greek. It's literally the opposite of the word. They contradict what Paul and Barnabas were sharing of God's word. They spoke abusively, but they actually spoke against what Paul and Barnabas were saying. And in in verse verse 2 of chapter 14, where it speaks of of those who refused to believe, That, that, that verb, refusal to believe, actually speaks of disobedience, of making a decision to go against what is right. So for some of these people in this passage, they said, no, this is not for me. And actually, they were active in speaking against the word of God. They were active in working against the word of God. The second option in the passage is to accept the word of God. To believe that Jesus came. And died and rose. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he reigns on high. God has given us his words. In it there are things that we need to follow, to obey. There are things that will nurture us and nourish us. Sometimes there will be things that challenge us and correct us even. Discipline us, but ultimately, to believe in the word of God will give us life. Why do we bring a horse to water? Because it needs water to survive. Why do we need the word of God? Because it brings life. So, what is your response as you hear what I'm saying? Perhaps you have already responded in obedience and faith. Then perhaps the word for you this morning is in, encapsulated in verse 43 of chapter 13. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them, and here it is, urged them to continue in the grace of God. It's a similar idea to what we've been looking at on a Tuesday night. We've been looking through the book of Philippians. Really good evenings, please. Don't feel it's too late to join us for Discipleship Explored. They're good times together just to chew things over and talk and laugh and pray and, and think and drink coffee and stuff. They are really good evenings. But in Philippians 2, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. You see, a decision... To believe in Jesus is not static. It's a lifetime of working it out. Being open to being transformed day by day into the person that he created you to be. In his image. Are you working out your salvation if you've made that response of obedience? Or have you got stuck? Or are you marking time? Standing still? Maybe even sitting back and thinking, well, you know, I've said I'll I'll follow Jesus, but now I don't need to do any more. I'll keep my head down, turn up the church, do a few good things. That should keep God off my case. No. No. What difference is the living word of God making in your life? Does your behaviour, do your attitudes or your thinking get shaped by the word of God? At home, in church, wherever you are in the workplace, In the pub. At your club or whatever leisure you're involved in. Does how you respond to your children or your parents or your wife or your husband or your relatives or your friends, does that have echoes of Jesus? Are you asking for God's help in those places? Because actually... You can only ask God to help you. We can't impose that on other people. And you know, as I chat with with folk in this fellowship, I know that loads of you are really trying to let God in and let God be a part of your day-to-day. Bless you. Keep going. Keep going. Let God in more and more. Perhaps you haven't yet responded to the word of God. Maybe you're still kind of weighing that up. If that's your final position, then... There is no position on the fence. Don't put it off. You might not see yourself as actively acting against the word of God, like we see here. But if you're holding him at arm's length, maybe even subconsciously, maybe just by default of where you are in your life, maybe you're saying, I just don't need you, God. I'm pretty much fine as I am, Tar. Actually, I've seen too many so-called Christians who don't seem to walk the walk. I'm better off just trying to do my best to be a good person without you making it complicated. Sounds all right, doesn't it? But actually, that's sin. To say, no, I'm okay. I don't need God in my life you're turning your back on God and saying I know and I'd say to you today today is as good a day as any to say Lord you are right actually your word has stood the test of time yeah sure I've got questions I have got questions haven't we all got questions But today is as good a day as any to say, okay, I need your forgiveness. I see the world that we live in and the mess that it's in. And maybe I haven't caused all those issues, but our sinfulness has. And I know that I get in a pickle. I need to know you personally. interesting. Here's one last little little bit of, uh, of, of thinking about the Greek that uh, the New Testament was written in. In chapter 14 verse 2, the word that says refused to believe, get this, the Greek word is apatheia. What does that sound like? Apathy see, I don't think that today in Fivehead, in Somerset, there is too much violent response against the gospel. But by Jove, there is a lot of apathy. By Jove, there's a lot of people that just say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Just can't be doing with that, thank you. Looks too much like hard work. But actually, when you see that translated as a refusal to believe, as disobedience, that's actually quite striking, isn't it? Disobedience. Kind of think of that for, for children. Don't be disobedient. But actually, before God, each of us is very capable of being disobedient. And maybe that's shown in in a kind of apathy. Please don't let that affect you and infect you. This is good news. Of course, we muck up as church, of course, we muck up as individuals, but let's not let the Word of God be ignored today. Let's move forward. Let's allow the word of God to dwell within us and shape us so that we, in turn, can be a light to the Gentiles and a way of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you see that? Verse 47, I'll finish with this, I've run out of time. Quoting Isaiah 49.6, Paul says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. He's taking that upon himself as a mantle. But actually it was fulfilled in Jesus. He came as a light to the Gentiles, to those who don't know him. He then appointed those first Christian believers to be that same light to the Gentiles. And we can take that mantle on today to be a light to those who do not know the love of Jesus. if there's stuff that's challenged you there today, please don't go from here without talking it through. Maybe just asking somebody to pray with you. Or maybe just saying, I I need to meet up to talk. Please don't go without thinking that through. We're going to sing one last hymn today. and I I, I love this hymn because it's kind of honest it kind of,